Hey, welcome to Maison Mission. I'm Kevin, and I'm really glad that you're here tuning in today. If you don't know, Maison Mission is an inclusive faith community. The word Maison comes from a Greek word that means greater. The Maison Mission is about finding greater spaces for people to hear and experience the good news of Jesus. If you want to learn more about us, check out MaisonMission.com, or you can find some links in the description of this program that'll help you get connected. We want to just tell you a few things that are going on before we dive in today. Our next Maison Live service is going to be on Sunday, April 3rd at 5 p.m. We're meeting at Cypress and Grove Brewing again downtown in Gainesville. Uh, Maison Kids programs will be available for your little ones, and there'll be another food truck outside. Um, We'd love to hang out with you, grab some food and drinks after the service. It's such a good time, so uh, definitely try to join us for that. Um, I do have a little bit of bad news. Um, this past week, we had a problem recording the audio from the Maison live service. So unfortunately, we won't be releasing the podcast from last week. Um, you know, these things happen sometimes, and we apologize to you guys, especially those of you who only listen online. Um, last thing I want to mention is this. Join a house church. I know a few of you are already watching this with your house church, but there's still so many of you who we only get to see once a month at Maison Live. House Church is really the place where the best of Maison happens. It's where you can be known, loved, and connected personally with each other. I really, really believe that those personal connections are the best church stuff that happens. Not in programs, not in big shows, but in these small, intimate gatherings where our families come together and we have discussions and we just love each other the way the first followers of Jesus did. So please let us know if you need help getting connected to a house church. We'd love to get you plugged in. All right. We're going to start our time together like we usually do with a time of some centering prayer. So let's um, just quiet our hearts and focus on our breathing. Hmm. Just slow everything down. Mm, that's good. As we're doing this, sometimes, um, I know for me, my mind can wander a little bit, um, and I just try to pray simple prayers to help focus my mind. God, have mercy. God, show me your heart. God, be present. God, we ask to see what you see. God, help me to hear your voice. What are you saying? What are you doing, Lord? Sometimes these simple thoughts can help direct our mind outside of ourselves and into the presence of the Lord. Let's just keep breathing. I'm going to uh, pray a short prayer to help center us today. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are not a faraway God, but that you are the God that is with 
us. God, we ask for you to continue to be present as we meet together, as we share in conversation, and help us to see you and the things that you are doing in the people around us, that we might be an encouragement and a support to others. We pray all this in your name. Amen. May the peace of God be upon you and go with you today. All right. We've been trying to follow this thing called the church calendar. Uh, For almost 2,000 years now, the global Christian church movement has observed this rhythm where we follow the ministry of Jesus from beginning to end through different seasons, and we call it the church calendar. It begins with Advent, the season around the birth and uh, life of Jesus, and it follows through the death, resurrection, and ascension, and then sort of concludes on the day of Pentecost, which is the day the Holy Spirit comes and empowers us to do those things that he calls us to do. Um, After that, we go into this thing called ordinary time, which is just that, it's ordinary. And that's when we might dive into some more specific topics or series. Uh, But right now we're, we're in the season of Lent. Lent is the six or so weeks between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. And it's a season of reflection, devotion, and humility as we prepare for Easter. Some of us give up things, we fast or Uh, sometimes it's food, electronics, certain indulgences. We do this intentionally so that we can focus our hearts on the life and work of Jesus. Um, Personally, I'm just trying to be more mindful of my body and the things that I put into my body, food, images, social media, physical activity, what things are good for my body, what things can I do less of or without, Um, When I get hungry and I feel that stomach growl or when I feel the ache of my muscles from doing more activity, I try to focus my thoughts on Jesus. Those pains that I feel remind me that Jesus felt those same aches and pains when he was human and when he was tested and tempted in the wilderness. It's a feeling of solidarity, a feeling that I somehow stand with Jesus and, and he stands with me. I've practiced this every year in some way for over a decade now, and I just need to tell you, Lent can really be game-changing for your relationship with God. My relationship with God has grown so deep and has become so much closer through these seasons. And I just want to encourage you, if, if you're able to find the margin to practice this, even if it's just a little move towards God in your daily routine during Lent, even if it's just reading a passage of a devotional book or spending five or ten minutes in centering prayer like we did earlier, even if it's in the shower or something, I'm telling you, God will meet you in those spaces. um, And it will grow your life deeper with him. As we observe Lent together, I wanted to share something that really spoke strongly to me in the scripture reading this week. It's from the Gospel of Luke, and I'm going to start here at verse 22. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, 
I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, from east and west, north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be least important then. Hmm. It's an interesting passage um, and a tough one to preach on here, if I'm being honest. I mean, Maison Mission is an inclusive church, and we talk all about being welcomed here. It feels pretty off-brand for us to be reading a passage that says the gate is narrow, and, and worse yet, that it could imply that, that some of us aren't saved and, and some of us aren't welcome in the kingdom. But I think the reason we shrink back from these things, at least the reason why I do, is because of how I was raised up in church. My whole childhood was driven by a fear of sin and the idea that I might die and go to hell. Um, these thoughts have buried their roots deep in us. And because those roots are so deep, sometimes we need to be able to get in there, dig way down deep, and cut out the bad roots. So that's what I'd like to do today. Let's get out the shovels and the pickaxes and get ready to dig out some old dead roots. We'll start with some context. Let's zoom way out on this and see what's really happening and who Jesus is talking to here. Jesus is in the middle of what I, I call his parable tour. He's going around and telling stories to the people to try to explain to them what the kingdom of God is like. The crowds are mesmerized because they really know, all they really know is this ruthless Roman Empire and the manipulations of the religious leaders. This new kingdom that Jesus is talking about sounds really good. So the people are really interested in this. Jesus is talking about turning these systems of power and control upside down. The least become the first. In one story right before this, he talks about how a tiny mustard seed becomes this giant tree to give shelter and protection. In another one, he talks about this despised Samaritan being the hero to a broke, down, beaten, and left for dead traveler. These narratives that Jesus is dropping all talk about the weak, the small, and overlooked, and oppressed, being welcomed in, and unfair judgments overturned, and people freed and restored. For a lot of the ordinary people, these stories are a breath of fresh air, but I don't think these stories are as exciting to those who are in power and have influence. They're probably feeling pretty threatened by Jesus' stories. He's gaining popularity. People are coming from far away to seek him out for healing and to hear him speak. He's talking about this other kingdom. And what does that mean for their own empire and other structures of control that they use to keep people in their place? Jesus is encouraging the weak to become strong and to break free from these broken systems. Jesus is quickly becoming an enemy of the state and his good news for the weak and the poor is pretty bad news 
for those in power. And so knowing all of that, we enter into the story. A man asks Jesus if only a few will be saved. (laughs) Saved from what exactly? Jesus hasn't been talking about dying or hell. His parables have mostly been about this upside-down kingdom movement where man's broken rule is overtaken by God's good, peaceable movement of love and restoration. So what if the man asking the question about being saved is talking about being saved from the broken rule of man? What if it's the temptation to amass power and influence? What if that's what he's asking if we're saved from? What if it's the enslavement to an economy of greed and wealth where only the strong survive? What if it's being saved from the false dichotomy of being either a winner or a loser? What if it's about us being saved from ourselves? Whether being oppressed by power or if we are the ones trying to gain power, neither is the way to God's kingdom. We already know that those at the top are some of the loneliest and empty people that we know. Maybe Jesus is responding to this question, will only a few be saved, as meaning, will only a few of us escape this bondage? Hmm. Pretty interesting plot twist, right? As we continue to read the passage with that lens, it really changes everything about it. You know, so many of us have heard this passage quoted by evangelists or people in church trying to lay a thick guilt trip down on people saying the wide way leads to destruction, but the narrow path is the only way to Jesus. But when I read this now with these new glasses, it's almost as if Jesus is saying that the many who use their man-made systems of control and power or look to those powers to save them, they're the ones who will find it hard to see the kingdom. We're in an unprecedented time in history. Christianity is in a really interesting place. Our faith is being scrutinized, and for good reasons. Mistakes have been made, people have been hurt, and sheep have been led away from God's heart for us. The church is being humbled. The things that we were taught and embraced being raised in this westernized Christian culture bubble are starting to show their cracks. Many people use this word deconstruction to talk about those of us who are questioning and reevaluating our faith. I don't love the term deconstruction. I think there's better words that we could use to describe the journey of faith that we're on, but You know, sometimes you just got to use the words that people know and recognize. Some people use this term deconstruction as a negative term, like how the term woke started up uh, as a declaration of awareness, but then became a negative term used to scold zealous activism. And so now people seem to react to the term deconstruction as if it's something bad when it really isn't. I honestly don't care what word we use to describe it. The fact is, deconstruction is natural. And it isn't new. People have been refining the Christian faith since since its beginnings. Martin Luther and the movement that became the Christian Reformation was basically an act of deconstruction. If we're doing the Christian faith right, 
We should be encouraging each other to never stop seeking, never stop asking. God is truly in the questions. I believe that. Last week, we talked about the mystery of God. God reserves a space for himself in the mystery of who he is. And that is okay because we know that God is good and we know that he is faithful. So whatever words we choose to call this questioning of our faith, and no matter what the rest of the world thinks about it, I just want you to know this. The Maison mission is committed to being a place where our questions are welcomed, where we encourage each other on the journey, where we can sit in the discomfort with others who are working through their faith systems as they may feel like they're unraveling. And that can be scary and hard and uncomfortable. It's definitely not easy. You know, I really hate it when people, um, especially people come up to me or they come up to friends of mine and they say, oh, well, you people who are just deconstructing your faith and questioning and doubting, you're just looking for a license to sin or, or, or a reason to embrace the secular culture. And I just want to call BS on that. You know, nobody that I know who has ever walked through deconstruction wants to deconstruct their faith. Most people in deconstruction got there because of the inconsistencies that they saw and experienced in church or from other people who were uh, strong in their faith around them and how they acted one way while Jesus in the Bible says another. <laughs> Hear me on this. Deconstruction is brave. Deconstruction is humbling. Deconstruction is admitting that maybe God still exists outside of our seemingly perfect and certain ideas of who he is and how he works. And that can be a haunting experience to go through. And if you are there right now, I want you to know that you are not alone. You are seen, you are loved, you have a place here at Maison. The temptation for us when we're scared and going through trials of our faith is to isolate, to cut ourselves off. We're afraid that we're going to get hurt so we avoid each other or we disappear. Don't do that. Please, press in to the questions with others. And for those of you who are here and are not deconstructing your faith, when others around you are going through this process, stand with them. Stand for them. Pray for and with them. We can be a different kind of church here in Gainesville, one that walks through the refining fires of this faith journey with each other, one that doesn't give up on each other, even when life gets messy. This isn't easy. It's a hard word. I know that. And when we look at this scripture, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're all kind of rich. We all have spheres of influence. We all have pull and power over others. But Jesus still calls us to the narrow path. And he calls us to use those things for his glory and not our own. Not to build ourselves up and to gain power for us. But for God to make his power perfect in us. God is calling all of us to give up a lot to follow him. Not because he's trying to keep us out and exclude us from his kingdom, but because he's made a place for all of us to be there with 
him. So as I wrap up, remember this. It's impossible for the world to embrace the kingdom of God and also hang on to its power, wealth, and influence. Jesus says in, in Matthew 19, 24, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The rich, wealthy, and powerful will struggle to see the kingdom because it's impossible to have both. The narrow path that Jesus tells us here in this passage, in Luke 13, is a challenge to let go of material wealth, let go of amassing power and influence, let go of climbing the corporate ladder to the top of a system that is dead and lonely. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the revelations that come through your spirit. And God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is here and it is continuing to speak and move through us and in us. Lord, help us to see the narrow path, uh, not as an escape, but God, as the freedom, Lord, that you call us to, that we can release this, this desire for control, this desire to, to be the best, God, I pray that, you know, in the scriptures it says that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And I pray that, that we would be humbled. Um, and in that humility, we would stand strong in you and through your spirit and through your grace. God, help Maison be a community that is fueled by that grace, that is fueled by the strength that you make perfect in our weakness, Lord. We love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. Go in peace.